Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep 100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Deathcom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements, and resorting to finger pricks. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out SkinGrip at SkinGrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, at checkout. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Keep 100 Radio. I'm so excited today because I have on the show one of our former clients and alumni, Kaylee Glick, on the episode. And Kaylee came to me, I want to say we had our consultation call in March, around that time frame. And from the second I met you, I swear, like, you were just like just such a light. And I knew that Keep 100 was a perfect program for you. I knew that we had such like a good connection to work with each other. And I just knew that you were going to add something so just so powerful to the community that we were building. So I think I'm just really excited for this conversation, but I would love for you to take a second and just introduce yourself and share a bit about your journey. Okay, well, first of all, that was so sweet. Like, I want to cry. Thank you for saying all that. <laughs> but yeah, no, like you said, um, my name is Kaylee Glick. I'm 25 and I've had type 1 diabetes since I was 14. So um, I just hit my 11 year anniversary back at the end of August. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it right now. I'm just like a stay at home cat mom. Um, I have a degree in social work. So I, you know, was working in a nursing home for a couple of years and left my job back in March. So now um, diabetes is my full-time job, pretty much. (laughs) Isn't it always? (laughs) Yeah, basically. No, like I, I loved working with you and having on calls because, and I, even on this, as we're recording this, um, Every time you see Kaylee, there's always a cat somewhere nearby, <laughs> either crawling on her keyboard or, oh, what was that one time we were like, that your fridge was in the background? And I was like, is there a cat on your fridge too? And yeah, they're just yeah. They're everywhere. I love it. Yeah, I have seven of them. So it's hard to get away from them, but I love them. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm like that, but with dogs, like I could totally have seven dogs and be a hundred percent okay with it. So I hear you. Yes, do it. It'll change your life. <laughs> so you had just hit your 11 year mark, which is mm-hmm. insane. And you had mentioned that you were 14 when you were diagnosed. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that experience as kind of a, a teen and being diagnosed with something like type one? Yeah, um, it was super stressful as I'm sure it is for most people um but I had no idea I didn't know anything about type 1 diabetes um this was actually about a week before I started my freshman year of high school so um you know I had that added to it you know like trying to figure out 
how to eat things and how to bolus for those things. And I was in a different, you know, school setting. So that made things a whole nother level of difficult. But the way I was diagnosed was actually really kind of interesting because I have had hypothyroidism since I was about 10. So my mom kind of always knew about, you know, the other um, diseases that could kind of go hand in hand with that. And her best friend's daughter has type 1 diabetes. So she knew the symptoms and there were a few weeks where I was like nonstop drinking water. And, you know, that's one of the main symptoms is thirst. And I was just at the fridge all day long with my cup of water, just like, yep, I'm here now. I live by the fridge. Like, <laughs> um, And it was, you know, it's kind of funny now to look back on, but I had started working out and I lost like 20 pounds in two weeks. And I was like, wow, you know, people say that like, it's really hard to lose weight. Like this is not hard at all. <laughs> and, you know, so all those things started kind of like to line up and my mom's like, mm, okay. So we went over to her friend's house and her daughter tested my blood sugar and it was over 500. So they were like, all right, um, to the emergency room. So um, it could have been a lot worse. You know, I know a lot of people go into DKA and things like that. So I had a pretty smooth um, diagnosis and the transition from there was bumpy, but um, I was also lucky because I was, you know, I was still 14. So I was still living at home. I still had my mom to kind of, you know, take care of a lot of it for me. And I didn't have to just, you know, I, I know a lot of people when they're diagnosed as young adults, it's just like completely overwhelming, especially if you're already in like the workforce. And it's just like, you have, you know, no, you don't have a parent to like take care of it for you. So I was really grateful for that. But um, adjusting to high school and adjusting to this disease that I didn't think I even realized at the time that I was going to have this forever. Mm -hmm. It just kind of, it, it was it was a lot to deal with. It was absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like I do think in a way, like your diagnosis was, you're very lucky that your mom recognized the symptoms because mm -hmm. it can be so easy to pass them off and saying, okay, like a, a 14 year old going through like growth spurts, there's puberty, there's like different, mm -hmm. just different transitions in our lives that like, we can easily be like, okay, like we can make sense of it in a way where yeah. like, it doesn't have to be anything dramatic as diabetes, but the fact that your mom caught it and was like, this sounds like something that we should investigate is definitely yeah. huge. Yeah. So you, you said that like, you didn't really realize at first that it was going to be like a, a chronic illness. Like you didn't realize that you were going to have it forever. At what point did it kind of hit you that like, oh, okay, this is, this is for real. <laughs> I think it was probably only a couple months later. Um, because I think that, you know, when I was first diagnosed, all of the doctors seemed to really under-exaggerate the complicatedness of this disease. And it was like, okay, well, you know, your blood sugar is high, so you're going to take insulin. And now whenever you eat, you have to take insulin, but you can eat whatever you want, as long as it's not regular soda and you're good, go home. And I was like, okay, great. Like, and then a few months later, I'm like, this is exhausting. Like, this is, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a lot more than first of all, what they said it was going to be because so many other things, as we all know, affect your blood sugar. So they completely oversimplified it. 
Mm-hmm. And I kind of had that moment where I was like, I have to do this forever. And it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Did that ever, cause I always wonder about this because I was 19 when I was diagnosed. So I was a little bit older and I, you know, it was a little bit, it was a different transition. I can't say it was better or worse. It was just different. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go through any of those like angsty teenage years where like you rebelled against diabetes? Like Maybe not. I don't think I recognized it if I did Mm -hmm. Um, because probably all of my teenage years I was in a way rebelling against it. Mm -hmm. Um, I never really took the time to sit down and say what do I need to do like you know when your doctors tell you you have this new disease and you can eat whatever you want you just have to take a shot you're like okay I don't need to change anything. So I never took the time to think about, you know, should I be changing my eating habits, my moving, my movement habits, anything like that. Um, so it just, you know, it, it was never a big deal for me and it should have been. Mm-hmm. So those years all through my teenage years and probably a little bit past that even diabetes was just this kind of extra thing. And I didn't really care that much about it. It was completely not a big deal to me at all. If my blood sugar was high, take insulin. I'm not thinking about the repercussions of that at all. So um, it was probably on the back burner for a good nine years out of these 11. (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I I feel like my experience is really similar because you're kind of, you're right. You're kind of given this information of, oh, eat what you want, but take insulin, carb Mm -hmm. count, or use your sliding scale and see you in three months. And we kind of get in this routine of, okay, we, first of all, we're not really taking the time to grieve or process. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, okay, like jumping into this new life of this new way of managing and this new, this whole other aspect of my life that I never expected to be there. And we kind of, I mean, maybe some people take that time to process and that's, I wish that was something I allowed myself to do. Um, You know, my advisors were like, you can withdraw from the semester for, you know, for college. And I was like, no way, not going to do that. Um, You know, again, being a teenager, but yeah, like we get in this cycle of just managing and just being like, okay, I'll correct the high, I'll correct the low. But at least for me, I'm like, I'm going to still go and eat what I want I'm gonna still go and and party I'm gonna still continue like pushing myself in my studies like nothing really changed and like not that life necessarily has to change in a different way but like there's a different way of taking care of yourself if that makes Mm -hmm. sense which I I know for you that was something that we worked a lot on was that self-care aspect which we'll we'll get into but you said that you know this kind of took place for a good nine years, which I think kind of led us into our initial conversation of that, okay, diabetes is on the back burner. Um, I'm kind of feeling burnt out. Like I remember you had mentioned like even pre-bowls and for breakfast is just like not a thing. Like it, it doesn't feel good right now. Can you kind of speak to that of like where you were um, before we had started working together? Yeah, so um diabetes was, it's always there. It, it's not going to go away no matter what you do. But I was in a spot where I was probably just doing the bare minimum that I needed to do to survive. Um, I have a CGM and I have an insulin pump and I've had them both for years. 
but unless you actually utilize those tools the way that they're meant to be utilized and you you know make changes based on the information that they give you they're not doing you a whole lot of good so i had a cgm but i wasn't wearing it all the time and i mean for me a cgm takes maybe three four minutes to put on to you know wipe your skin and, and do all that fun stuff it doesn't take long at all but if i had one on and then you know 10 days later it died it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to change it. I don't feel like putting another one on. Mm -hmm. And that would go on for months. So I might, you know, get two different sessions out of a three month period for my CGM. So I never knew what my blood sugars were because I wasn't testing them manually either. No, no, <laughs> that never happened. Um, and then taking insulin, it was just sporadic. I would take insulin when I felt like it. And that wasn't very often. So I would consciously be eating something and I'm like, well, the worst that's going to happen is my blood sugar is going to go high. I'm only thinking about what's happening right now. I'm not thinking about what's happening later down the road. So I wasn't carb counting. I wasn't pre-bolusing. I didn't know what my blood sugar was. I was only taking insulin maybe half the time. So my blood sugar was always high <laughs> and I was never getting the care that and the attention that I needed for my diabetes so I was always in this kind of reactive state instead mm -hmm. of proactive and then even sometimes I wouldn't know my blood sugar was high because I would feel like crap but I don't I didn't care enough to take insulin to correct it it just was like I'm completely apathetic towards this diagnosis right now yeah uh, was there like a because you're, you're not a lazy person. Like I do not think with any diabetic, us feeling burnt out comes to laziness. And I feel like that's the very first kind of reason that our physicians come up with. They're like, well, you're just being lazy. You don't want to do this. Well, of course, nobody wants to do this, but was there kind of a, like a voice or like a subconscious kind of thought that was coming up that was preventing you from from wanting to put diabetes to the forefront um yeah I think so because I've I don't know how long I've I've had depression because it's only been diagnosed for maybe about a year um but I do have diagnosed MDD and anxiety um so I think that was clouding my judgment for such a long time and that voice of, it doesn't matter, you know, there's gonna be no repercussions if you don't take care of yourself was always there. And I would have rather just ignore it and pretend it didn't exist. And I think a lot of it goes back to what you said before. I never had that time to grieve and so many people didn't. And that's, that's huge. I never really thought about that before. You know, you, you literally get this diagnosis of a life-changing event and I mean, there should be some therapy that goes along with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and especially with how it's treated on like social media or just the media in general of, oh, you just have diabetes or, oh, at least it's not cancer or, oh, like all you have to do is take a shot now. And like that just, first of all, makes us feel like we're, our diagnosis is underplayed and that we're not allowed to kind of have these emotions that go along with it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, thank you also for being vulnerable and sharing kind of what was happening in the background that was kind of pulling into the diabetes aspect. 
Um, but like we know that too, this year brought a lot of big milestones for you. And I don't, I don't know if you want to kind of share about those, but how did this mindset or this reactivity around your diabetes impact those milestones? So I feel like I was never able to fully enjoy the big events in my life because my blood sugar was always so high that I felt like crap a good portion of the time. You know, I was tired. I was thirsty. I was lethargic and mentally exhausted. So even though something really exciting might've been happen, been happening, I was just kind of like, okay, well, I want to go lay down. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that really put a damper on a lot of things. Um, like last year at the end of last year, I got engaged. Um, so, you know, we started planning a wedding and I was at work every day and those things just were kind of just like going through the motions. Even getting engaged was not a big deal. I was just like, yeah, uh-huh. I'm, I'm literally so tired mentally and physically that it's not that big of a deal to me. And that seemed crazy. Like those are the types of things that you want to celebrate. Mm-hmm. But when you have, you know, di- diabetes there and you're not taking care of it the way you should be. So you feel guilty about that. You don't really feel like you can, you know, properly take time to enjoy the positive things because you're supposed to be feeling bad. That's how I felt. Anyway, you're supposed to be feeling bad about yourself because you're not taking care of yourself. So how can I enjoy this other thing when I know that I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of takes away that that ability to embrace those moments and celebrate when, you know, you want to look forward, but diabetes Mm -hmm. is kind of that lingering thing being like "Ah, I'm still here I'm still gonna I'm still gonna be here a part of that journey with you which can hold us back but it can also be empowering too when we kind of think about the place that you are now which we'll get into but what like what was that what made you kind of think okay this is enough like I want to bring diabetes to the forefront because like I you know you want to tackle it or you want to you want things to be different what where did that start what was that pull I think it was probably at the beginning of this year, um, January, February timeframe, where um, my now husband and I were planning on getting married in March. Um, and I thought to myself, it's not just me anymore. Like I am going to have a husband and that's a partnership. So we're in this together and I can't just be looking out for myself anymore. You know, he wants me to take care of myself. And I feel like not that I owe it to him, but it, it just, that changed everything, knowing that somebody else is depending on me. Um, and then, you know, I really want a family. I would love to have kids one day. And knowing where I was at with my diabetes, I knew there was probably no way I was going to be able to have a healthy baby if I was neglecting my diabetes that badly. So it kind of all came together when I was like, well, I'm getting married, which means, you know, probably in a few years, we'll be wanting to have kids. And that's not going to happen unless I change something. Um, And then in addition to that, you know, it had just been my 10 year anniversary of diabetes. And after neglecting it for so many years, I was like, how the hell do I not have any complications yet? Like, I'm so grateful and so lucky to not have any right now. But I knew they were coming 
because I hadn't been taking care of it. So everybody tells you, all the doctors tell you, you know, all these scary things are going to happen to you if you don't take care of it. And they might still happen because I did spend that long period of time in my life where I didn't care for it. But I thought to myself, you know, I can start taking better care of it now. And maybe I can try to prevent some of those things from happening. But it's been 10 years. You're getting married. You want to have kids. Like you need to get your act together. I don't know what happened. It was just like everything came together in this one moment. And I'm like, okay, um, you need to sort your crap out. Like, (laughs) yeah. But that's, that's huge also, because like just having that pull to bring it to the forefront or to like take ownership of this is huge that you know it might take us a long time to to get there but just having that there to to say in an empowering way of doing this will let me have a happy marriage it will let me start that my family it'll let me enjoy the celebrations that I should be enjoying do those 10 years matter absolutely but the fact that you took that ownership and you you know, you did the work to, to bring it there. That's huge. And not everyone can say that, but I believe from our conversation, there was also a big social media influence that was playing into this, right? Do you mind speaking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so social media is, is such a big impact, um, in society these days. And that's how I found you. So I'm very grateful, um, for that reason. And there's, you know, there's a lot of good things that it's there for, Um, And the diabetic online community had been such a big part of my life for so many years. And, you know, people say that there's like influencers on Instagram, things like that. So I was following a good amount of those types of accounts, um, specifically related to diabetes. And that comparison game absolutely killed me because there were a lot of people sharing what their blood sugars were, what their A1Cs were, how they lived day to day. And I'm seeing all these people thriving and I know that I'm supposed to be thriving, but I'm not. So that was making me feel so, so guilty. Um, So I actually got to a point where I looked out for other accounts that were kind of in a similar place that I was in. Um, And I did find a few uh, Instagram accounts where there were people who have diabetes related complications and you know they talk all about their their stories their experiences and how they're persevering despite all of these things and that was great that's what I was looking for but I think that almost made it worse I didn't realize um, at the time but it, it made that fear stronger because I knew or I had this feeling that I knew these complications were going to happen to me So when I started reading other people's stories about what they had gone through, it just made it so much more real. And now I wasn't just comparing myself to the people that were doing a great job. I was comparing myself to the people that were having a lot of struggles. So it was just all coming down on me. And no matter what I did, it just felt like um, social media wasn't helping anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of like this like double-edged sword. Because like you see people who are thriving and like just posting their great blood sugars and, you know, kind of that toxic positivity of like, mm-hmm. you can be thriving and you're like, well, like, I don't feel like I am yet. So like, I'm not really there. Like life isn't peaches and cream. It's not perfect. Like, mm, let's maybe step back from that. And then there's that whole other side of kind of the the darker things that nobody 
really talked about and yes it can be empowering very empowering to talk about and acknowledge that down the line yes we can be prone to complications they can be there we can still thrive with them but it can also right put you in that place of kind of anticipating things that weren't there yet right is that does that kind of like am I saying no exactly I had this feeling of okay well great now they're inevitable no matter what I do right And I think when we had kind of started working together, there was kind of, so I remember talking about kind of the the towards mentality and away from mentality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we were able to create a lot of shifts because, so for anybody listening, an away mentality is kind of like you're motivated by going away from something. So in this case, it would be, I'm motivated to take care of my diabetes because I want to go away from the possibility of complications mm-hmm. but then there's the towards mentality which is I want to take care of my diabetes management because I want to live a fulfilling life and the subconscious can't process negatives so when we're kind of motivated by those away from away from motivators our subconscious doesn't know what to do because there's no direction there so when we give it a very specific thing to go towards we're giving it direction we can go accomplish our goals. So that was, I I feel like that was a big thing that we kind of worked through of kind of like shifting, okay, like let's step away from the thinking, not thinking about diabetes or as like a complications or that like doom waiting for us, but shifting to how can we replace that with what we want out of it, right? Does that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just so funny. I'm like giggling to myself over here because I have our notes in front of me from the day that we had that conversation and I like everything that you just said is like word for word what I have written down so no way I love it, I love it. <laughs> that's amazing I remember that specific conversation of like there was there was a day <laughs> there was yeah a day. there was a day <laughs> yeah um I don't I don't even remember how that conversation got there I think we had had a few, you know, meetings already, and I feel like maybe you just got to a point where you're like, something is going on, and you're not, like, giving me the full story, because I have the potential, but somehow I'm not fulfilling what I need to do, and it just all came out. I was like, okay, well, I'm absolutely terrified of getting diabetes-related complications, and that fear is so strong that I would just, I was frozen. I didn't want to do anything because I had that feeling that it was inevitable. I felt like nothing I was going to do now would, you know, make it better or change it. And I was telling you about how all these, you know, Instagram accounts and the diabetic online community wasn't so helpful anymore. It wasn't so much inspirational as it was more hindering, you know, my ability to do the things I needed and wanted to do. And you looked at me and you were just like, stop, like you need to stop comparing yourself. And, you know, you said this with like the face that you, I'll never forget the face you made because it was full of love. Like that sounds, you know, that sounds really harsh, but you were like, this is not helping you at all. And you need to realize that when you're sitting there comparing yourself to other people, there's always a disconnect. And that word just like completely triggered me. You were like, you you are, you know, you're spending so much time focusing on how the, or you're alike to these people when there's so many differences. And you said, that person's story is not your story. And I just was like, oh my God. And I just completely started crying because, you know, people tell you 
don't compare yourself to other people. And that's great. But it's, it's kind of similar to saying like, don't be sad. Like, okay, well, how, you know, like, right. right. <laughs> so when you said, you know, don't worry about how you're similar, focus on the disconnect, that word triggered me. And it's like, I never looked at it that way before. And that, that changed everything. And I'm not saying that the fear is completely gone. It's not, but that helped to redirect my thoughts in the future. Yeah. You can make them more empowering of like, my journey can be different. And I remember going kind of like reverse engineering the, the thought process of like, okay, like the, there might be similarities up to a point. And then we were able to find the exact spot where kind of that disconnect happened and mm-hmm. and find that so that we could redirect into those different thought patterns or you know yes you're right like the fear is never going to completely be gone I think we can all kind of agree with that but when we can shift to that more empowering mindset of like how can I let my journey be different how can I let my my story be different and again like I'm speaking to this episode and saying that there's nothing wrong with complications that doesn't make you a bad diabetic by any means and we can all live very fulfilled lives but there is you know that part of of you that doesn't want to to just to, to have them and that's okay too like either way mm-hmm. it's be okay and that allowed us to kind of get on the role of those different habits those self-care habits those diabetes management strategies all of those kind of it created that ripple effect of okay now I can actually move forward and mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there are just so many. Oh my gosh, by the way, oh, ah, there's so much that I want to say. <laughs> but yeah, like what were some of those small things that kind of created that ripple effect that like allowed you to move forward? Like what were those first tangible items that you started doing for yourself? Well, I remember you you asked me a question. You said, well, what what fulfills you in life? And I sat there for a while. (laughs) Um, And that was kind of what started the whole thing. What are the little things that you like to do that you really enjoy doing that you might not have time for, or you might not even be making time for them? Um, So we made a list and you helped me come up with days and times that I could carve out and set in my schedule because otherwise you're just like, oh, take a bubble bath, you know? Okay. Well, if I don't tell myself a time to do it, it's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was huge, you know, finding the things that I did enjoy that brought me joy. And because self-care is becoming a lot more prominent in society. And I'm so glad that people are recognizing that. And you can go online and look up a hundred different ways to practice self-care, but they might not all work for you. So, mm-hmm. you know, you need to go through and find out what you actually enjoy doing and find the time to do it, make a routine, set a schedule. Um, And that just, that changed a lot. Um, And then the other huge thing that we started doing was making my own, like, I call them power phrases. They're like little mantras that I tell myself. Um, And I even write them down sometimes and, you know, posting them in places where you're going to see them regularly or see them where you need to see them, where you need that reminder. Um, which is funny because you told me to post them on my cats, which I'll see a long time if I do that, but <laughs> I don't think they'd like that. It would have worked. <laughs> but that was really important. Um, and it's similar to like affirmation cards, which I really enjoy those as well. You know, just they're small little positive reminders of why you're important, why you're doing what you're doing. Those things that, like I said, they're small, but they make such a huge difference. 
And I love, love, love affirmation cards. I mean, you can buy them on places like Amazon and Etsy, but you can make your own too. So they're catered to your own story and, you know, catered to what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what those power phrases turned into for me. And, you know, when you talked about using language that moves towards something instead of away from something, you helped me create these phrases that were what I needed to do in terms of my diabetes, but related to my goals and my feelings, because otherwise it was just like, do this. And that's the whole thing. That's it. Like, (laughs) but if you say do this, because, you know, one day you want to be able to have a baby and you want to feel good about yourself and your marriage and everything like that puts it all in perspective. Right. (laughs) But when we get to put things in our own words and we get to do things in a perspective of where we can be future forward in that focus, we get to actually make sustainable change and we get to do it in a really positive and empowered way. That's more Mm -hmm. than just checking something off of our list. Right. And like, so let me ask you this. If this was a conversation that you brought to your endo or your physician and you had said like, I'm having the, (laughs) I'm already laughing. (laughs) You had said like, I am worried about these complications this is a fear of mine. And like, I'm worried about my marriage and starting a family. Like, how do you think that conversation would have differed? (laughs) I don't think it would have been a very long conversation at all. And um, I like my endocrinologist. He's a really great doctor. But when it comes to the mental aspect of things, I think that this is true of a lot of doctors and maybe just specifically endocrinologists I don't know but when you go into your endocrinologist's office every three months they're not like how are you feeling Mm -hmm. you know I see your blood sugars are are you feeling good about those you know how how have you been doing mentally they're not asking those questions they're looking at your blood sugars and they're why was your number this this that day what did you eat Mm -hmm. that day what did you do to correct it that day And they're asking all these technical questions and then they, you know, suggest things to change, change your ratios and whatnot, and then you're on your way. So I think if I had gone to my doctor's office and I might've even tried to do this, I can't remember, but if I had said, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like shit, first of all, and, um, I really just, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like mentally I'm tired and it's impacting my ability to physically take care of myself. I don't think we would have gotten very far. I think he probably might've referred me to maybe a psychologist or a therapist or something like that. But that's also hard because you want somebody to talk to that understands diabetes. So that's not always doable. Um, But I, and, and that's why I think that so many people are scared to talk about these types of things, especially related to complications. It's almost like a taboo subject because I have a feeling that a lot of people are scared of them. Nobody really wants that stuff to happen. And like you said, you know, it's not not to put people down that do have complications. Sometimes, you know, they are very, very hard to avoid and it doesn't make you a lesser person or anything like that. But, you know, being able to talk about them before they happen is so important because that's a very real fear. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are scared to talk about that fear. So we're all just kind of like suffering in silence. And, you know, a lot of people, for me included, impedes our ability to take care of ourselves. So 
anyway, I feel like I got away from your question, but <laughs> basically yeah. what it comes down to is I don't think that, <clears throat> um, from in my experience, I don't think that doctors focus very much on, you know, how your chronic illnesses also affect your mental ability to take care of yourself. Because I mean, if you have type one or type two diabetes, you are at a much higher risk of developing depression. And I'm sure a lot can be said for other similar chronic illnesses as well. So why is that not more focused on when you go to the doctor? Yeah, no, I think your answer is perfect. And I'm just kind of thinking like my own experience too. Like my endocrinologist has me fill out this form, like kind of like a survey every year. And it's the first question is always, are you depressed? And it's like, oh, gee, let me take a look. Let me, let me think about that one. Have I been diagnosed? No, but like, do I have depressive thoughts? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they come up. I think we can all say it can ebb and flow in, in times. And, you know, just needless to say, like there's so much more going on than we can ever get in a 20 minute appointment or a mm-hmm. five question evaluation. That's just another thing to, you know, make sure that they check off of their list. And yes, like tools like therapy, psychologists, so, so important. And there's always a time and place but there are like little tools that we can implement like being future focused or like using those towards towards motivators to you know at least get our our patterns on the right track and and shift to a more empowered way of thinking about our our diagnosis mm-hmm. and you're right it should be something more normalized in talking about in the com- community complications is not a dirty word it's not anything to be ashamed of there's a way to like have that equal that equal balance of understanding that they're a possibility and there's something that can happen, especially with the diagnosis of, of diabetes, but also knowing that it doesn't have to. Like, it, mm-hmm. you know, in either way, you can be empowered and have a very fulfilled life. And I'm just so proud of you for being in a spot where now you can talk about it in kind of that, that balanced state of saying, is that fear still there? Yes. But am I in a better place now? Also, yes. Or at least I, I hope to think that you're in a, a better position now. <laughs> no, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, that fear is probably never going to go away. Um, and my mental health problems are probably never going to go away, but I've started taking care of those things better. And in turn, you know, I've been able to focus and pay more attention on my diabetes. I, that was a, that was a hundred percent that barrier for me. And that barrier was so tall. I had no idea that, you know, taking care of my mind first was going to positively affect how I can take care of my body. Right. So, okay. Let's talk about that then. Like how, how does that compare now? Like, where are you at now in comparison to that conversation in, in early spring? Um, it's like a complete 360, honestly, or 180, whatever. Um, it's, it's so, so different, um, because, you know, after you and I spent time going through those self-care practices for myself and going through the type of language that I needed to be talking to myself in, I, you know, those things helped so, so much. Um, and I realized I do have mental health diagnoses. I do have issues. So I did start seeing a therapist, um, and, you know, I've, that's been such a huge help. And like I said before, even though that mental health professional might not be skilled or experienced with diabetes, 
they still have a lot of information to give when it comes to how to deal with your feelings related to a chronic illness. So that ongoing support is really, really crucial because, you know, when you and I had all those conversations back earlier this year, they were so helpful. And I realized I needed that all the time. And that's okay to have something long-term because guess what? Diabetes isn't going anywhere. So to take care of your mind is, is so, so important when it comes to that. Um, so my diabetes has, it, it's, it's doing a lot better. <laughs> um, I, I feel a lot better and a lot more confident in my ability to take care of it because, because of you, you know, I learned so many different things that I was never told in my doctor's office. Um, you know, it's not just pre-bolsing, carb counting, taking insulin. It's how in the world does exercise affect your blood sugars? How do different types of food like protein and fat affect your blood sugars? I had never learned that. And that's absolutely crazy. You know, how did I go 10 years with having diabetes without realizing or not realizing without getting the knowledge that those things play a huge, huge role in how your blood sugars react. So anyway, now that I know how to do those things and I have more tools to take care of it and my mind is in such a better place, I just feel like I am fully equipped to take care of it. Um, and I'll be completely honest, my A1Cs have not been great my entire life. Um, my A1C when you and I first met was a 9.1, I think. Um, and I'm getting it tested on Tuesday. So I'm really excited to see what it is, but you know how Clarity does like the little estimated A1C. Um, I know that's not completely accurate, but right now it says a 6.2. So I'm really hoping that <laughs> it's really Shut up. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I've never seen a six in my entire life. Like, I can't believe it. Um, and Wait, I know this, it's, it's just insane. Like The last so, time we talked, it was like at a seven point something. Mm-hmm, yep. Yep. And yeah. it just goes to show like you put in all the work and like you'll you will get there. You really will. You just have to figure out what what works for you and what is what is your barriers? Like what is stopping you from getting to where you need to be? Yes. Oh my gosh. I see this is where the number is not everything. I will say like there are very mm -hmm. healthy low A1Cs and there are very unhealthy ones. And what I am so proud of is that you did that. Like, okay, maybe that's the estimated A1C, but you did that while doing the work alongside of it. And like everything is in correlation now. Like it all came together. I'm so excited to hear how that goes on Tuesday. Oh my I know. God. I'll let you oh know. <laughs> yes, please do. And in one of our calls, we kind of created that. We don't have to get into too, too, too much detail here because it's pretty personal, but we kind of created that timeline of like mm -hmm. okay like realistically to get to your goal like how do we want the year to play out and I feel like we're right on track yeah I'm looking at it right now so um my goal for August was a 6.5 um so we're a little bit past August but it's also a little bit lower hopefully than 6.5 so um like going back to you know goal setting you have to make specific concrete goals that are time specific and manageable because if you don't make a detailed goal, you know, it's just willy nilly. I one day wanna do this, but how, how are you gonna get there? Mm -hmm. When are you gonna get there? Like who's gonna help you get there? Those things are so important. So having it written out and laid out like that 
I think has been another huge thing that has just helped me get here. Uh, yes. And with like such a specific purpose that you get to mm-hmm. look forward to, like, oh my gosh, and now we're almost in the new year. And I, I'm just so excited to hear how everything pans well, out. And that's crazy because I have always dreaded my endocrinology appointments. <laughs> um, I hate, hate, hate getting my AONC tested because I'm just like, um, here we go. (laughs) But I'm looking forward to it. I've never, ever looked forward to an AONC test in my life. (laughs) I am like so excited for you. And I feel like he's going to be like, who is this person that I'm talking to? Like, I don't recognize her because I don't recognize her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. And all in just eight weeks too. Like, that's so exciting. So if somebody is sitting in your shoes that you were in for the past, you know, not like you, you said kind of like those nine years and the position mm-hmm. that you were in early spring where they have this like fear and they're not really sure how to express it, who to turn to, how to even identify those barriers. Like what is the advice that you would give to them? What would you say to them? That's difficult. Um, because like, like I said, like identifying those barriers is huge. So I think, you know, finding a support team is huge. Um, if you're not able to identify those things yourself, maybe somebody else that's really close to you in your life can help you get there. Um, and for me, that was you, which is crazy because I didn't know you at all. (laughs) But, you know, after being able to, I'm an open book, so I'm, I find it really easy to just completely blab my feelings. Um, So after I told you all of that, you know, and you realized there was something deeper under the surface, i.e. my total fear and unwillingness to talk about my fear of complications, you were able to help me get there. So being, being able to identify somebody in your life or several people, you know, whether it's a parent or a sibling or a close friend, a partner, whoever, I think that that is crucial because you can't do this alone and nobody's asking you to do it alone. So once you find that person, if you're able to tell them exactly how you're feeling and just be completely honest. And I actually used to be the type of person where I could never, ever talk about how I was feeling. If I was going to do that, I would write it in a letter and give it to my mom or I would ask my mom, I said, can we go on a walk? Um, because, you know, then we're right next to each other and I'm not looking at her. I could never make eye contact and be honest about my feelings. So anyway, I can't remember where I was going with that. But <laughs> if you're able to talk about your feelings with that type of person and be honest with them, then they can help you understand what barriers you have and then how to break down those barriers and get to where you need to be and get to your goals and achieve those things. Well, first of all, thank you for putting your trust in me and, and helping you do that and allowing me to sur- to support you because that's, you know, that's a huge honor to be able to do with anybody. And I think you're so right. Like there are people that you, like everybody, no matter who you are, like should not have to carry this alone. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not a part of the role that comes with living with diabetes and it's not a part of the diagnosis. So I think that really speaks to that in whoever it is, a family member, a friend, a, a spouse or partner, whatever it is, like there should be somebody in your life that can help you carry that, that weight, because that's, that's never something that we should have to carry alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to go off of that, um, if there's not, you know, if you feel like you don't have a person that you can go to, um, 
I would suggest this for anybody, honestly, but that's because I'm, I have a social work background. So I, I truly, truly believe in what I do that men mental health is so important and finding a healthcare professional to talk to is completely, completely okay. And a lot of the times it's necessary, but if you feel like you don't have somebody personal in your life that you can talk to, I would, you know, I would highly suggest looking into counseling and finding somebody professional to talk to. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like we had said, like complications isn't a dirty word. Therapy isn't either. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's something that should be accessible to everybody too. And there are mm -hmm. new ways that, that we are, we're getting there. There are different programs. Like I think there's like better help and um, I have to look at some links, but yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, there's so many different ways to do it now too. You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm so grateful for COVID-19, which sounds crazy, <laughs> but I'm grateful to the small things that it's helped with because going into a doctor's office always for me is associated with so much anxiety. Um, so because of that, I don't have to go into my therapist's office. She calls me on the phone and she tells me, do you want to do a Zoom call? And I'm like, no, I don't want to do a Zoom call. I want to talk on the phone because then I don't have to look at you and I just feel more comfortable. So that kind of thing is becoming a lot more um, available these days as well. You know, and I'm hoping that even when the pandemic is over, that those types of things will continue to be available because there are a lot of people that like to hide behind a screen and that's okay. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I know that they make um, apps and stuff like that if you want to talk to somebody. So that's an option too. But I just think that any way that you can find professional help is, is absolutely important. And like I said, it's absolutely okay. It's not taboo. So many people have therapists. Therapists have therapists. It's okay. <laughs> yes. I actually just did another episode with Natalie Swanson and we had talked about um, just, you know, the concept of eating disorders and type one. And I had asked a question of like, when is the best time to get help? And she said, if you're somebody who's even thinking of like, I'm not there yet, you're there. Like mm -hmm. it's okay to ask for support because mm -hmm. you don't have to wait until you're at the complete burnout or at the, you know, at your last straw to to get support like you can get support before you get there and be proactive with it so right. I think that like fits in really well here too right and you're in control you know think about the things that you're in control of if you're not sure it's okay to try it and then you can say at any point I don't like this or I mm -hmm. want to try a different therapist because you don't always jive with the person that you're meeting and that's okay too so it's important to remember those things exactly uh, thank you so much for for bringing this conversation to the to the podcast because it's it's one that needs to be normalized and yeah. we need to be able to have this conversation without the fear of being judged or guilted or shamed like there's no space for that I believe in the diabetes journey and mm -hmm. just thank you for helping us bring it to light because it's it's so important absolutely I'm so happy to be here and I love talking about this type of stuff so anytime that you want to talk to me, let me know. <laughs> yes. Do you want to share your Instagram handle or you don't have to? Just in case Oh yeah, sure. Know. It is underscore K-A-Y-G-L-U-E-C-K. And I will, I'll put that in the show notes as well. So everybody can, can find you and, you know, at least um, connect with you because they know that you've been there. They know, they know that the conversation is, is safe with you. So yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye.